Hey everyone, welcome to Hit the Apex Podcast. It's Jawad here as always, and thank you for joining me this week after the Qatar Grand Prix and the Bathurst 1000. They're going to be the two main things we talk about on this week's show. Uh, we had three-time world champion coronated in Max Verstappen and also a three-time Bathurst winner in Shane Van Gisbergen as well, who happens to be a three-time Supercars champion. So three cheers all round. <laughs> you can always tell that I really try with these titles um, and insert them in the uh, actual show where possible. Anyway, I hope everyone's doing well um, and had enjoyed themselves over the weekend with the racing that was on. Um, If you watched the F1 or Bathurst or both like I did and live blogged them both as well, which was insane. I still feel the fatigue on a Tuesday afternoon um, of that and also other things like stress, pressure, what have you. So, but that's a whole nother story. Uh, let's talk about Qatar though. Um, an interesting race, an interesting weekend, one that was, you know, kind of summarized in a couple of key talking points, such as Max being coronated a three-time world champion. We had our driver of the weekend in the rookie Oscar Piastri, who won the sprint race. Yes, you heard that correctly. Oscar Piastri, the rookie, won sprint race. And yeah, I think he's the only sprint winner this year that wasn't Max Verstappen. So congratulations to him. You know, does it count as a proper race win? That's the thing. It doesn't. And, you know, we can't celebrate it as such. But I did feel inclined after some uh, some sage advice to break out the rocket red McLaren top, which hasn't seen the light of day since Monza 21. And then since then, it was back to 2012. Yes, I still have one of those rocket red Vodafone uh, McLaren Mercedes tops from back in the day. The only bit of colour that you were allowed to wear under Ron Dennis's um, era of McLaren. But yes, Oscar Piastri, um, he was fastest, fastest in the sprint shootout, won the sprint and then also finished P2 in the Grand Prix, which is his career best result in F1 in, in Grand Prix terms. Um, but also the conditions of the weekend, so the heat and and um, few drivers feeling quite unwell in the car, as well as uh, tyres, because there was a three-stop race that was mandated um, ahead of the race by Pirelli that you have to take pit stops at certain times. So yeah, interesting things, a lot to come out of it, um, and good to see that you know we can still get some exciting racing, even though... The championships are both done and dusted. So that was that with with Max. So he finished second in the sprint to uh, get that championship sewed up. It didn't help that his teammate Sergio Perez, who did have a mathematical chance of keeping the title fight, if you want to call it even a title fight, alive uh, to the next race. He had to finish in the top three, but he ended up crashing out in the sprint. Um, Not his own fault, but we'll get to Checo a bit later. Um, And then for the race, Max on pole, and then just basically put in another one of his simply lovely imperious drives that he has all season to go on and win his 14th Grand Prix of the season. So talking about the demanding weekend, so we had sweltering heat, an intense circuit with so many changes of directions. It is a MotoGP track, or it's well known for being a MotoGP track for the last two decades, is the LaSalle International Circuit. So it's a bit of... It comes at no surprise that, you know, 
it is a bit demanding in these conditions for F1. And I know that next year they're going to be running the race a bit later in the year or, you know, an, a month after or whatever that it was this time. So hopefully it'll be a bit cooler for them, even in, even at night, which is ridiculous to think that, you know, it can be that hot, but it is in that part of the world. Logan Sargent, unfortunately, um, had to be retired medically, you could say, <laughs> medically uh, retired. I shouldn't be laughing. Um, the team were eager to get him in, uh, and he was like, no, no, I can still drive on until, you know, he ended up throwing up in his helmet, and that's not very nice, but glad that he did make the sensible decision of coming in, uh, and also Esteban Ocon as well said during the race that he, within 15 laps of feeling the um, stresses and strains, he was also throwing up in his helmet, so, you know, not good, I hope, you know, either they wash them or get a whole new helmet for the next weekend, who knows, but it is F1, so they probably have the money to be able to afford new helmets, and then also the the three-stop race, so, it was discovered after the one practice session that they have on Friday and then also sprint qualifying as well that these tyres were not going to make the distance um, because of the new surface being quite um, harsh, the changes of directions as well really intense but then the curbing as well like they've got sawtooth or sawtooth curbs not the sausage curbs that f1 are used to so you know they they work in in motor gp and whatnot but for f1 it is a bit much for those very delicate pirelli tires so they did mandate that you can only do 18 laps per set of tire in the race that includes laps that you've done on that set if they're a scrub set it includes any laps done on them previously so it's really handy with the live timing to be able to monitor that during the race and understand when um, we're going to see pit stops and look as much as I am getting over the the Pirelli tires being so sensitive and not really allowing races to be run at full pelt a race like this where, you know, you have those multiple stops did make things interesting a little bit. And I think this was the ultimate goal when Pirelli was brought on by F1 back in 2011 from with, you know, Bernie Eccleston being in charge was to create multiple stop races and keep it exciting. And yes, even though we knew when everyone was going to pit as such, you know, you didn't know what tyre they were going to go for. We saw George Russell in the final stint go for a set of soft tyres, and I was, would have thought that after the sprint race, George would have been having nightmares about a soft tyre. And here we have Lulu again um, doing her weekly cameo appearance on the podcast. Yes, hello, Lulu, barking in the background. There's nobody out there, no dogs, no nothing, so not sure what she's barking at. Um... Oh, was I talking about tyres? Yeah, so soft tyre, not really the right choice. But yeah, the ones who had saved extra sets of mediums and, and were able to use their scrub mediums, they did get to the end. So we didn't have any tyre dramas through the race, which was good to see. Um, but yeah, the fact that it was mandated by Pirelli on safety grounds made it a little bit more interesting through the weekend. And just seeing the drivers physically ex wrecked after the race, um, somebody in the cooldown room of the top three mentioned something about, can someone bring me a wheelchair or something? So, you know, uh, you see on to see the look on their faces, how um, demanding it was. So yeah, good on them for getting through that. Um, I'm sure there have been more grueling conditions out there in the past. I mean, who was it? It was Jean-Éric Verne in Singapore 2014 actually fainted after he got out of the car. So luckily none of the drivers fainted 
after this, but you know, they, they would have been close, but you know, such as the miracles of modern medicine and science is that, you know, they would have got all the electrolytes and hydration that they needed pre and post race. So good on them for doing that. Talking about the race itself then. So I said, Piastri was kind of my driver of the weekend. He performed amazingly, um, sprint race win, you know, people talking about, you know, he's won something before Lando has, you know, Lando still hasn't got a race win on the board, whether it's a sprint or a Grand Prix. Um, and, you know, kind of no surprise because this is the, this is the promising talent that McLaren wanted to sign in place of Daniel Ricciardo for this year. And, you know, this is the young chap who's, who cleaned up in F3 in his first year, cleaned up in F2 in his first year, then sat on the sidelines for a year. And, you know, while they had such a slow start to the season, you know, McLaren overall, and, you know, he's playing catch-up in terms of points. I think the way he's performing at the moment is just so mature, so composed. There is no, you know, panic in his voice whenever he's on the radio or no getting flustered and whatnot. So I think about, you know, him needing to improve his race craft and all that, you know, that's going to come over time and he's been doing a great job. So can't wait to see next year when we start from zero and if McLaren have made more progress on their car and are closer to Red Bull where he will be featuring and, you know, what that holds for Lando as well because, um, you know, Lando really hasn't had much competition the last couple of years with his teammates so you know what kind of adjustments does he need to make coming into the new year too and the way Lando spoke uh after the sprint you know feeling a bit dejected and self-blame and everything it's for that attitude that I feel like he's not gonna do well at Red Bull for example like he's he's quick he's supremely talented but if you're going to go in with that sort of attitude or you're going to be despondent when something bad happens or you have a bad day and you've got Max Verstappen as your teammate, then I don't think Lando would last in that environment. So, you know, for all the people out there saying Lando should go to Red Bull or he's been approached by Red Bull and whatnot, like, just don't do it, son. I mean, you'll you'll get your chance at McLaren and, you know, it'll be great seeing, you know, him tested uh, in a straight fight with Piastri when they're in a position where they can win Grand Prix and everything. So, you know, that'll be a real test of the character because, yeah, if he just goes to Red Bull, it's going to be worse, um, as we've seen with other drivers over the past few years. So McLaren doing well there. They backed up their sprint results with a 2-3 finish in the race itself on Sunday. And this is also after the fact that they had their Q3 laps on Friday deleted. So they would have been on for, you know, front row, second row starts. Um, But they weren't able to because they got their lap times deleted and track limits was very much a talking point all weekend as well there was so many penalties handed out during the race uh, which we'll cover as well instead Mercedes capitalized on this and they were second and third on the grid but they ended up having a first corner melee Um, I shouldn't laugh but it's kind of funny because after all the drama that was talked about after um, uh, Suzuka last time with uh, Hamilton pushing pushing Russell wide at, at the spoon curve and 
Um, you know, the talk of potential friction going on there. There was a flashpoint and Hamilton starting on the soft tyres got a better start and he thought about going around the outside of turn one to take the lead. Only problem is that he was a bit too close to George who was in between his teammate and Verstappen who had the inside line. So inevitably contact was made and... Hamilton ended up out of the race. He did then cross the track in an unsafe manner to get back to the pits and was fined quite a bit of money for that. But ultimately, Hamilton did apologize after the race and put it out on social media that he takes fault for that incident. It's very rare that we see Hamilton making mistakes like that, but the fact that, you know, it threw away a potential you know, double podium finish as it could have been without the damage to Russell as well. Um, you know, Mercedes will no doubt have, you know, done a review on that and see how they can avoid this mess in the future. Um, but yeah, Russell ending up having to pit for a new front wing and then do an extra pit stop as a result and recover his race you know from the back of the field to p4 and you know in hindsight with that sort of pace if he can come back from the back of the field in a demanding you know tire eating sort of race um and finish fourth and you know there's no telling that he would have definitely finished on the podium if it wasn't for that first corner incident and yeah the points lost for hamilton is um is a a bummer as well particularly because in the battle for second in the championship there's that you know slight chance there that he might end up being able to catch Perez for that and I feel like it's a bit too far out of it and you know Perez would have to catastrophically catastrophically yeah that's correct catastrophically mess up the remainder of his season for that to change and it's a 30 point swing between the two so I feel like the car that they have at Red Bull you know you could easily see um Perez keep that but then at the same time Perez is just in some other land at the moment and we'll still get to Perez shortly got a bit more to talk about beforehand um yeah but the hindsight with um George is that they would have definitely finished on the podium as with Hamilton if they didn't have that first corner incident um Piastri with seeing what happened at turn one emerged in second and that was after he started six so great awareness from him um, and composure to avoid that incident Alonso as well Fernando Alonso p3 at that point um but the McLarens were much quicker the Aston Martin had quite a messy race anyway, so no surprise that after the first round of pit stops that Lando was hot on Alonso's um, uh, coattails, and there was, I think, a five-second penalty at one point as well for Alonso. I'm not quite sure, but I know that the second pit stop, which was the record, world record-beating pit stop for McLaren um, and in F1 in general, 1.8 seconds, um he was able to overcut the Aston Martin. So, you know, that's great work from the McLaren crew with their pit stops as well through the weekend. And, you know, they're just working really well as a team at the moment. And the strategy as well, Randy Singh, the head strategist, doing a really great job as well. Sip of water and keep on going. And yeah, there was a moment as well after the third round of stops where Lando thought that he could challenge his teammate. But, you know, the team firmly said, look, we're not in a position to gamble. 
um, this at the moment, just bring home the cars. And of course, there was a threat that, you know, George in that final stint on the soft tyre could have potentially um, challenged the top three, but he just fell away quite dramatically at the end there. So we won't even talk more about that because it was a bit of a nightmare for George on the the soft tyres. And heard him in the sprint race actually say, oh, we should pit, you know, given the fact that he had lost the lead because uh, he did lead briefly um, when Piastri was on the medium tyres. I mean, yeah, sure. Then if you pit, you're going to be at the back of the field. You're not going to score points. So at least coming home in fourth or whatever that he did in the sprint race um, meant that he was still able to get some points on the board. So, you know, well played by the Mercedes pit ball in that instance and not listening to Russell, who is getting quite demanding, let's say. Sometimes he talks like he's already a world champion. Um, Sad and lonely day for Ferrari. Sad for Carlos Sainz because he didn't even get to start the race due to a fuel system error. Um, Ferrari reliability again coming back and biting them in the backside, whereas Leclerc um, was the only car in the race and finished a lonely P5. I mean, you know, the fact that they they couldn't even match the pace of the McLarens or the Mercedes at the end of the day just tells you that, yeah, you know, and for surely like a track like this would have been suited to Ferrari if they went so well at Singapore, but, you know, Singapore is such an outlier and alas, that wasn't the case. So yeah, lonely little race for them. Alonso, like I said, a messy one, um, finishing in sixth ahead of Ocon in seventh and, you know, that gap now down to 11 points between Aston and McLaren and we'll talk about um, the other driver at Aston Martin as well, Lance Stroll. Uh, in a bit more detail soon because, you know, it was another weekend to forget for him and a bit of a controversial one as well, uh, which, you know, just want to share my thoughts on too. So give me a few moments before we go into that. But yeah, Ocon, like I said earlier, felt sick in the car as well. So good on him to put in, you know, a Herculean drive to secure seventh, the only of the Alpines to score, um, because there was a number of drivers, including his teammate Pierre Gasly, that were hit with uh, penalties at the end of the race for track limit violations. And there was Stroll, there was Alex Albon, Checo Perez as well. And as a, resu- as a result of that, both the Alfa Romeo cars <laughs> benefited. And, you know, the fact that, you know, the Alphas are so slow um, and you know, can't keep up with anyone... All they had to do was stay out of trouble, not breach track limits, and they scored points today. First time all season that they've had both cars in the points. So good job to Valtteri Bottas and Joe Guanyu, 8th and ninth for them respectively. So, you know, that's a bit of a, you know, boost to their Constructors' Championship as well. I think it did take them ahead of uh, Haas. Yes, it has. So, you know, they're only, what, four, five, six, seven points off Williams as well for that battle for seventh, eighth, nine, ten. Yep, seventh in the championship. Don't rule them out now, but again, you know, we know that Williams and Albon in particular are quite strong. Albon did come back and score a point or, yeah, point or a couple of points in the sprint race as well on Saturday. So, you know, it's going to be an interesting battle. Let's talk about Checo, though. Checo Perez. What was it? I think three or four track limit penalties at the end of the race for him. And that was after he started from the pit lane um, because they did a power unit change and he had the 
he had the contact with Hulkenberg and Ocon, I think, in the sprint race too. Not his fault, but three don't go into one. So everyone kind of just, yeah, you know, racing incident in that instance. And all three of those cars were eliminated in that um, situation. But the fact that he didn't even make it through to Q3, and that was another track limits thing that he got his lap time deleted for in Q2. Someone's going to have to sit down, put an arm around Checo. It's probably going to be Christian Horner because, you know, I wouldn't want Helmut Marco anywhere near me. Um, you know, the only time I feel like he would get that close to Checo and to have a chat with him would be to tell him, son, you're fired, basically. But I think Christian Horner just needs to sit down and have a chat with Checo and, and check in where he's at because... You know, we talked about it in the in the grid talk um, Slack chat. Uh, <laughs> um, it was brought up that it feels like this fella is broken at the moment. You know, he just he is malfunctioning somehow because this is not the Perez that we knew or we know or the Perez that Red Bull would have signed at the end of 2020 after he won the um, Sakir Grand Prix and the the winner of what. Th- five races with Red Bull as well, I believe. Um, So something's got to give. And, you know, we've got five races to go this season. Max is Max. He's not going to relent. He's not going to check out like Hamilton used to when he'd wrap up the championships early. But he's got to show something, you know. And if he does lose this second in the championship to Hamilton, there's 30 points, like I said. That's when, you know, I'm sure the drums will beat and be like, okay, well, that's it. You couldn't even do that job is and, and maintain second in the championship. So off you go. And I feel like if he does decide to leave or get let go from Red Bull, then he should just sensibly do the sensible thing and call time on his career because what are you going to do at the driving a Haas, for example, or any other car on the grid? You know, Alfa Romeo or Sauber, I should say, because they'll be Sauber next year. Um... You're not going to go back to those dizzying heights that you were with when you won all those street races, for example, like Singapore last year. Uh, And, you know, the same with Valtteri Bottas, really. It's like, what are you doing? Are you just trying to emulate Kimi Raikkonen in the last couple of years of his career by really doing not much in an Alfa Romeo? But, yeah, it's it's really alarming and and disheartening to see, um, you know, I've always been a supporter of Perez through his career. I've, you know, liked his underdog sort of attitude and um, earlier in his career when he was being criticised as being a pay driver, he actually, you know, came out and showed that he's more than that. I mean, 2011 was a bit messy, but 2012, Malaysia, you know, put himself on the map, could have won that race, could have won that race, but he did a Lando Norris, basically, um, not in the sense that he had the wrong tyres on, but he just went a little wide and let Alonso through. Um, it was unfortunate that his stint with McLaren didn't quite work out, but it did go, it did coincide with McLaren going downhill at the end of the last um, engine regs. Uh, and then, yeah, being given that second chance for with the top team in Red Bull, you know, we thought that, yeah, he's, this is going to be a powerhouse team, but yeah, it, it looks more like Jorge Lorenzo in, if we've got, if we've got Verstappen as your 2019 version of Mark Marquez scoring all those points for the team single-handedly, then Checo is definitely your 2019 version of Jorge Lorenzo because, 
you know, I don't know, Checo hasn't done as bad as Lorenzo did that season, but it's it's starting to look like that. And do you risk that even next year he can't get his act together and rebound, you know? But I certainly hope that if he is in that seat next year, a good winter break and, you know, a bit of soul-searching comes up with something and then he can come back next year, be able to play that role for Red Bull of the support to Verstappen and ensure that they can win the both the championships again, um, then, you know, I'm sure he'll be able to retire with some grace going coming out of 2024. So that's what I have to say about Checo. He still scored a point at the end of the day, but again, you know, so many... Track limits, mistakes, and violations, and you know he's in he's in the fastest car in the on the grid. Should be finishing higher than that and qualifying higher than that as well, of course. Uh, Lance Stroll, then yes, in a bit of hot water publicly because he got eliminated in Q one. He got eliminated in Q1 in Friday qualifying. Um, and there was a bit of an exchange with his engineer on the radio telling him, you got to try harder, you got to do this, you got to do that. And then you're out and he didn't say anything. And then he got out of the car in the garage. His trainer, I think it was, his personal trainer, was kind of wagging his finger at Stroll. Um... You know, as, you know, all motivating people would do, you know, to make you do better. Um, and then Q, them walking around the back of the garage behind a partition. And it looks like Stroll has, you know, physically pushed his trainer. And whatever way you want to look at it, it is workplace assault. Yes, you know, emotions are high, tensions are high. This guy's under a lot of pressure. Um... Uh, to perform, you know, in the media, in the public, he's always had that scrutiny because he is the son of the the boss. But you don't you don't let it out that way. You can have a conversation, you know, say not right now, you know, like let's talk later, kind of thing, and then go work it out. But for it to then, you know, be shown on on TV as well, live TV for everyone across the world to see. It's not a good look for the team. It's not a good look for the Aston Martin brand as well. I don't know if Lawrence Stroll really cares about that as such because, you know, the rumours going around again that he wants to sell up and leave. It's like, well, good riddance. If you do, goodbye because what have you really brought? Yes, you've brought investment and whatnot, but as far as the race team is concerned, you know, this is something that we feared all along is if they do end up as a team that's going to be competitive and and worth fighting the championship for, which they're not at the moment, but they've been really strong this year, that they're going to be let down by one side of the garage. And unfortunately, that side of the garage is that of the son of the boss, you know? So where do you put your nepotism inside and say, look, you know, we're going to lose fourth in the Constructors' Championship this year because one guy couldn't pull his weight, you know, and that happens to be um, the boss's son. I'm going to just keep saying it had nauseam, basically, because it feels like everyone has said it as nauseam, but, you know, not that Lawrence Stroll's going to do anything about it. So, you know, this is a team that was sitting second in the championship at the start of the year, you know, when they look like they could do no wrong, and we basically said about Lance that, hey, um, you know, you're, you, you had your injury pre-season, you're still recovering, you, you know, all that time was afforded and, and still nothing, you know, so 
what do you do in that situation? I already talked about uh, Logan Sargent as well. Tough weekend for him. And he made a mistake in the sprint uh, race as well on Saturday. So the fact that he's another one now, kind of like Checo, who just seems to be overdriving the car in a bid to save his career. We know how calm and casual, um, not casual, but calm and reassuring his team boss in James Vowles has been because, you know, he's got one of the most calming and soothing voices. <laughs> I can't, I can't believe I'm mesmerized by James Val's voice. But yeah, the way he speaks is just so well articulated. And, you know, if, if I wanted an audiobook about myself ever made, I would have him read it, to be honest. That or Matt Berry, you know, one of the, one of the two. I think, you know, Matt Berry would be, you know, more funny, um, I reckon, if it was in a comedic sort of tone. But yes, you know, get... Get James Vowles to um, read my autobiography, for example, if it was in um, audiobook form. Not that, you know, anyone would read my autobiography anyway, but they might because James Vowles narrated it anyway. Um, yes, yeah, a horrible weekend for him. And you, know, you can see that he's trying, but just trying a bit too hard, really. And, you know, Williams have assured that they're not going to make a decision on his future until after the season. So he really has, you know, five more weekends to try and save his career and you know doing it the way he's doing is not gonna not gonna help him so yeah you know you feel kind of feel sorry for him in that respect but then again you know there are people out there who say he was a year too early to be put into f1 if if put in at all you know or she shouldn't have been put in at all so that was um, Logan's weekend in a nutshell. Uh, and then, of course, uh, Liam Lawson as well, his final weekend in, in an F1 car. Um, toughest weekend for him as well. Since he deputized for Daniel Ricciardo, he had a mistake in the sprint as well, like uh, Sargent did um, and DNF'd, and then he was last of the classified runners in the actual Grand Prix. And the conditions really got to him, you can see. And you know, when the car is not really optimized either, he was saying in the in the post race um, in the media pen, uh, then yeah, you know, you're kind of doing way too many things managing way too many things and then also trying to manage yourself in the conditions too and he looked absolutely buggered with the um with the Nomex off altogether and walking around topless in the paddock so not that um you know some would have minded that but anyway uh yeah and then Haas of course again nowhere because any chance that they had of a decent race for Nico Hulkenberg kind of came awry when he pulled up in the empty grid slot of Carlos Sainz. Um, when you have a situation like that, you're not meant to move up unless advised, but, you know, he on his formation lap kind of had a brain fade and decided to move into that empty grid slot and he was hit with a 10 second time penalty as a result of it so yeah so that wraps up the Qatar Grand Prix um great race interesting race Max's champion end of story uh and also Piastri kind of put himself out there as being awesome not that he wasn't already awesome, but he's even more awesome now with those results. So let's talk about the supercars and um, uh, Bathurst 1000, biggest race of the year, of course. 
biggest race of the year, of course, uh, for the Supercars Championship. And like I said, from one three-time champ to another, SVG, Shane Van Gisbergen won his third, Bathurst 1000 as well, and his third in four years as well. So good going for, for Shane. And also first one for Richie Stanaway as well. And, you know, for all the critics of... Richie Stanaway out there, which I am not, of course. I'm probably a bit of a Richie Stanaway fanboy. Um, through the years, watching him in, in sports cars and in um, GP3, GP2, the, I am so happy for him to, to get this win. You know, it was happy when he won Sandown with Cam Waters back in 2017, but winning a Bathurst 1000 is a totally different thing. And for his stints that he put in the car... Um, when he had to do his 54 laps or whatever it was that he did end up doing, minimum 54 laps, of course, he was up there. You know, he got that car up to into a position where it could be fighting for the win. And then, you know, basically Van Gisbergen came in and sealed the deal as well with his own excellent drive. And um, good on them for prioritizing a race car as well. They, they looked shocking in qualifying and, you know, all the usual critics were out in the practice sessions as well saying, oh, you know, Van Gisbergen doesn't give a hoot. You know, he's too busy thinking about NASCAR and, you know, they're not going to focus on winning. But, hey, what a statement to make. And the fact that, you know, he won, got the 300 points and a big boost in the championship to him. He's effectively the closest... Um, challenger now to Brody Kostecki for the championship because it wasn't a great weekend for or a great race for Brock Feeney unfortunately which I'll get to but also for Will Brown as well who um, they weren't that great in qualifying they were 17th they did make a comeback during the race and ended up finishing in 8th um, between he and Jack Perkins but not good when you know you're already on the back foot in the title hunt because of a couple of bad weekends at the bend and Sandown. But I have to say, and I don't really get emotional during races like to the point where you know I, I tear up. But seeing Brock Feeney tear up when he was in the garage uh, when they had to bring his car in, I just couldn't help but you know feeling you know, emotional and having a few tears as well because, what's he, 20 years old, you know, he's just won Sandown, his first Sandown 500 and, you know, Jamie Wincup, the GOAT, is his co-driver as well as his boss, but to go from being in contention to win and they were very much in contention to win this race versus their Triple Eight stablemates in the 97 car to having a gear lever drama, and this is something that happened to the wildcard Triple Eight car as well of uh, Craig Lowndes and Zane Goddard earlier in the day, for something like that to then rob you, and oh my, he was so inconsolable, and I just like, I just felt so rotten, because, you know, they worked so hard, and that's just Bathurst, that is Bathurst, that, you know, it's so easy to, to lose the race but you know it's so incredibly hard to win and you know I'm sure <laughs> Feeney's day will come in the future where he'll be able to win this race and he'll win multiple times and unfortunately the classified finish of 23rd doesn't really help his championship case as well because um, he's lost a bunch of points now to Kostecki uh, but yeah like talk about heartbreaking it was a great you know great effort again from Win Cup 
as always he gets in and does his thing like I know he's been made a few mistakes over the years in recent times at Bathurst but he put in a really good stint um, for his co-driver um stint he took the lead early took the lead on lap one actually going into hell corner from David Russell and then yeah just really was in a commanding position and they were in contention they were in contention the whole time and yeah for him to bow out like that oh gotta feel bad for him but hopefully they do bounce back and we've seen we've seen a lot from from Feeney this year a lot of maturity a lot of maturity. He was Mr. Sunday earlier in the year with, with the amount of race wins he was rocking up on a Sunday. So, um, yeah, I'm sure we're going to see many race wins to come and even championships as well for young Brock. Um, yeah, and of course behind him, behind Van Gisbergen and Stanaway in the 97 was the 99 car, the Coke Camaro Brody Kostecki and David Russell. So they started on the pole. It was an amazing top 10 shootout lap from Kostecki to put it on pole. I think he was like f- almost half a second clear of uh, um, Feeney. So that was an incredible effort. But I think, you know, 97 prioritizing the race over qualifying which, you know, the 99 looked really good in qualifying spec, I think just made that, you know, difference in the end as well. Um, They didn't take that extra stop during one of the safety cars as well, so not that it mattered in terms of, you know, your minimum pit stops because there was no minimum pit stop rules, but I think just having that extra fill of fuel and, and tires for the 97 made them go further in a stint and gain more ground before the final sprint to the checkered flag but great effort though best result for both of uh, both Kostecki and Russell at Bathurst I think they were third a couple of years ago together so you know Russell doing a great job in that co-driver role and you know he's still at the top of the championship is Kostecki so going into the last two events with Gold Coast coming up and Adelaide four grueling street races um, it's all going to be to play for and particularly when you've got Van Gisbergen breathing down your neck as well so that was your top two and your top two teams I was so happy to see that flying the Ford flag um, on the podium, no less, was Anton Di Pasquale and Tony D'Alberto. Um, there was a lot of conjecture in the lead up to the weekend, a lot of debate as well <coughs> around parity again. Apparently there was this big meeting where Ford were trying to request that they could put on some new parts for the weekend and they had the parts ready as well and then all the GM teams decided to say no all the GM teams except for Erebus apparently because Barry Ryan you know I'm actually you know we we give him lots of of flack he cops a lot of flack from all corners of the internet but you know this act from Barry was really really good from a competitor's point of view that he's like um, he went to the Ford teams and asked what it is that you want to change or what kind of upgrades you're bringing. Can you show me the data, please? And they showed him the data. He sat down with um, George Commons, who is Kostecki's engineer, and they were both like, well, there's nothing wrong with this. You know, they should be allowed to. And, you know, they were the only uh, GM team or Chevrolet team that actually were in support of uh, the Blue Oval bringing some new bits for the weekend to in a bit to get parity but 
the the changes were ultimately dismissed because the the trigger was not hit or the trigger wasn't pulled which was the thing that after Darwin we saw um you know after a certain amount of races it, it has to be initiated for supercars to actually be able to review it um and the ironic thing is it was after Bathurst that they were able to pull the trigger so we'll get some changes maybe or even not even changes but like a review going into the Gold Coast event and like what does that matter now anyway it was for the biggest race of the year Bathurst you know none of the four teams can win the championship and they would have come into Bathurst thinking well if there's one race we do want to win this year it's got to be Bathurst and the fact that you know none of them really were able to or were in contention to do that is quite sad and like this doesn't excuse the fact that you know some of the Ford teams made their own mistakes to to jeopardize their own races so I'm talking about the number six car Monster Energy with um, Waters and Moffat so they qualified third um uh, the both the Penwright cars as well made mistakes and you know cost themselves key time uh, in the race. So you know it's not like they didn't sabotage themselves in a way, but to not have that equal footing, you know, to not be on an equal playing field is just ridiculous. And you know, twenty twenty four couldn't come soon enough. I think, and I was saying it in the lead up to Bathurst too. I'm not you know, saying this as a fervent Ford fan, because I really do feel for the GM teams too, because in a way, it sounds like their success, you know, particularly Erebus and Triple Eight as always, Matt Stone Racing, who's, you know, been consistently up there in the top 10 this year too. It feels like that their progress is being undermined, you know, by all this, and I don't want that to be the case. You know, they've done a great job, they deserve their results, but when you've got other competitors who are not able to be on the same playing field, then that's what irks me ultimately, and if the shoe was on the other foot, um, and it was GM having these struggles, then I would say the same thing, because I'm all about fairness and competition, you know, it's not a case of, oh, because I, I'm I'm on this team or I'm on that team, I bleed this colour of blood, yada yada. It's about fairness and this is a parity formula. Give us the parity, guys. So that's my little rant about the parity thing. But let's talk about the pain for the um, the teams that I mentioned before, the Ford one. So uh, Moffat crashed at the Dipper in um, the, the Waters car. You know, a bit sad because it's also Tim Edwards' last Bathurst 1000 in charge of Tickford too because that news came out that he would be stepping down from his role as CEO and team principal of the Tickford team. Of course, next year they're scaling back to two cars as well and, you know, there's all sorts of rumours going around that um, Edwards might be stepping into a, like, a supercars, you know, top job sort of role, like, not top, top job as CEO or whatever, that's Shane Howard, but stepping into, like, the motorsport manager's role, you know, which Adrian Burgess is currently in and has been in a bit of, you know, hot water in the news, don't really want to talk about it because it's, it's personal stuff relating to him, so, you know, that's not what we're here to do on the podcast, but, you know, someone like Edwards, he's been around, he's worked in Formula One with Jordan, um, he's been with that uh, Campbellfield based crew for such a long time because you know they haven't always been tick fit it was pro drive before and then they were fpr back in the day when i started watching supercars closely so yeah you know not the greatest result for him to take away but james courtney and zach best did finish sixth in the end his other cars where was 
Randall, he was 12, Thomas Randall and Gary Jacobson, as well as uh, Declan Fraser, Tyler Everingham in 18th, and they actually got in a bit of trouble because they um, came together with the 98 wildcard car, Simona Di Silvestro, and she was quite aggrieved by that because before they actually did penalise um, Fraser for turning her around at um, Forest Elbow, uh, she got interviewed and said, you know, back in the past, it was always me who got penalised for turning cars around, and this time, you know, nothing's happened to the other car that has done it this time, but they did end up um, giving a penalty to Fraser, so that didn't really help their cause. Um, and then, yeah, the Penwright crew, so number 26 car got hit with a pit lane penalty for passing Brock Feeney coming out of the pits um, under safety car conditions at the after the safety car control line, or before, I should say. And when you look at the slow-mo replays from the angles that were provided... It would have been millimetres that separated um, separated Reynolds from Feeney. And you could see the looks on the faces of the crew in the Penrite garage. You had his Reynolds engineer, Alistair McVeigh, and um, uh, Grant McPherson as well, like, perplexed, basically. So it was a bit of a harsh penalty for, you know, such a minor, minor infringement. I know rules are rules, but... Come on, you know, it seemed a bit ridiculous, but that kind of hurt them. Um, but otherwise, like usual, as per usual, Garth Tander and, and Reynolds did a great job. I think it's a really strong pairing. And if they had, you know, the, the parity between the Ford and the Chevrolet, that, you know, we would see that car a bit further up. Same with the 19 as well, because Matt Payne has really come into his own this year as a rookie. And, you know, Kevin Estray was doing quite well until he made a mistake at um, Hell Corner going off understeering into the gravel. Um, and that brought out a safety car too. But they still came back and finished uh, in 11th. So not a bad result for them. And, and Reynolds and Tander were up in 5th. So good job for them. I feel like this is becoming an annual thing for Brad Jones Racing. Is with sitting and having an airing of their grievances after the Bathurst 1000. Because uh, the number 8 car, the Andre Heimgartner, Dale Wood car had... Um, drama again this time at least it wasn't you know someone else taking him out although they were I forget who it was I think it might have been Scott Pye that kind of drove him off at Murray's corner the final corner and into the gravel but then they were rescued uh, but yeah having a engine blowout that ended their day so that was a bit sad for them and then having two of his own cars the Macaulay Jones car the 96 with Jordan Boys and um, the number four car, Jackson Evans and Jack, Jack Smith, um, coming together at the chase. It's like, come on, guys, you have one job, um, and that's not to hit your teammate. And, you know, both of them kind of hurt their own races result. They did finish 21st and 22nd, um, but they did spend a bit of time in the garage for repairs, uh, and it was only really the 14 car that kind of stayed out of trouble well, not really, because Dean Fiore did get a bit too racy going into the chase, and I forget who it was that he kind of made contact with, but, you know, Bryce Fullwood and, and Fiore in the 14 car did secure a top 7 finish, or they top 10 finish, I should say. They finished 7th, so, you know, when is the hoodoo for Brad Jones going to end at Bathurst? Because, yeah, I don't think we've seen them on the podium um 
ever, or for, for a very long time at least. Uh, like I said, the 888 car plagued by the same issue that was going on in the 88 at the end of the day. Um, only for Lowndes and Goddard, the problem persisted throughout the day and they were in the garage quite a bit too. And it's a shame because there were some people who had uh, this entry as a, as a smoky for the win. Sorry, they had good pace and, um, you know, we could have potentially seen them finish top five or even on the podium, but that didn't happen at all. Um, like I said, with the number nine, they made an impressive comeback, but they were hurt by double stacking and P8 overall, not great for um, Brown's championship chances. They are starting to fade a little bit because the margin is beyond 300 points, but anything can happen going into these final four races with the street tracks. And then, yeah, like I mentioned to um, Simona, lamenting the lack of a penalty at the time for the 56 turning him around and they finished 20th in the end you know so I don't know how much further up they would have gone if they um, weren't involved in that incident but great to see you back at the mountain anyway and good job from Kai Allen the rookie as well stepping up to the main game so another Bathurst done and dusted gotta say so look forward to next year now look forward to the Bathurst 12 hour of course you know when when looking forward to races at the mountain um and yeah that that's about it so I'm gonna leave that at that a good good show good solid show lots of things to talk about of course um be sure to check us out on socials hit at hit the apex media is the handle for x formerly known as twitter um please check out the grid talk podcast as well it was a pleasure jumping on with them doing the sprint review over the weekend as again um lovely bunch of people and great content as always and also check out our content on the raw.com.au as well um for live blogs and stuff um but otherwise Announcement time, I will not be able to do a show for you guys after the USGP, which is next weekend, as I will be overseas on a well-deserved holiday, so not going to be doing any motorsport-related stuff in that time, so um, the next time I'll return for a show will be after the Mexico Grand Prix, and if you're lucky, I might even go back and watch the usgp and review that for you too but anyway we'll see you then um thank you so much for tuning in um hope everyone stays well and i'll see you guys soon